Hi, this is Ava. Elise is my mom. This week on the show, Los Angeles Times reporter Salmia Carla Mungla and host of Good Luck of America. Good Luck America? Good Luck America. On Snapchat, Peter Hamby. Okay, let's start the show. Hey, y'all, from NPR. I'm Elise Hugh. It's been a minute. Sam is on vacation, but I am a fellow Texan, so he trusted me enough to fill in because he knew I was going to drop enough y'alls, I guess. <laughs> um, as Ava said, I'm here today with Peter Hamby, host of Snapchat's Good Luck America, not Good Luck of America. That was cute, though. <laughs> it's very cute. And next to Peter is Salmia Carla Mungla, health reporter at the LA Times. Hey, Salmia. Hi, Elise. The music you're hearing behind us here is a cross-cultural collaboration. It's the British pop star Dua Lipa with one of K-pop's biggest groups. Do you recognize this song? Yeah. This is called Kiss and Makeup. It is Dua Lipa with Blackpink. Blackpink is an all-woman quartet. It is the only Korean girl group to make it on the Billboard Hot 100 list more than once. Oh. Blackpink as a group is multilingual. They're going to keep making waves, too. The uh, group collectively speaks Korean, English, Japanese, and Thai. Wow. And the only K-pop acts that are bigger than Blackpink globally are, guess? Psy. Psy. Right. And... BTS. Who are the like dancing dudes with the awesome haircuts? BTS. <laughs> BTS. Okay, you cool. nailed it. Yes. So right behind Psy and BTS is Blackpink. Now you have some cocktail chatter. <laughs> um, what about y'all? What are your favorite artist collaborations? Doesn't have to be international. That's a tough one. Yeah, you're really putting us on the spot. You're from the South. So I was thinking of my second favorite besides this one this week. Garth Brooks and Trisha Yearwood. I'm that... I'm not for that. I love country music. I'm one of those like snobby like music guys who's like, I don't like mainstream country though. So oh, it's I've too- never I have heard that a Garth Brooks show uh, can change your life though. I don't understand anything about this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well then, let's start the show as we do. We each reflect on some news of the week in three words. Peter, I'm going to let you go first. Uh, As I reflected on the news of the week, the words that jumped to mind uh, as a political dork, that is my profession, uh, are election do-over. CNN, this week, on Tuesday night, decided to do another round of election night coverage with their reporters scattered all over the country and their panelists and their walls and their stats. This was because election night last Tuesday wasn't over, but it was treated by the national media as if it were happening all that night. And that led to a lot of narratives being formed around the election when Lots and lots and lots of races, including plenty of house races, we hadn't been called, called yet. Right. So it was as if it was last Tuesday. Yes. Did they set up the sets all over again? I mean, they were open about the fact that like, it was not like the same little... Tuesday. Um, <laughs> like pretend. Yes. With the very sexy branding of, I think, election night continued. Uh, oh. Yeah. I mean, and look, they're, in, in fairness to CNN, I'm glad they did this because political narratives get formed very quickly because of Twitter. Uh, They immediately radiate out into cable news, network news, the newspapers. And frequently, especially with exit polling, which is often faulty, those narratives can be wrong. 
like parsing, like is this or isn't this not a wave? Is sort of a sort of stupid way, right? Because it's so esoteric. What makes a wave a wave? Yeah, exactly. I mean, (laughs) Democrats won the national popular vote. If you want to measure the House vote that way, by around seven points, Um, they swept into office in plenty of Republican leaning districts. Um, They have recaptured Orange County which is bananas, right? That's like the cradle of kind of Reagan era conservatism. Um, Again, there were these big standout races like, you know, Cruz versus O'Rourke in Texas, your home state in Florida and Georgia that like those were the rock stars. And when they lost early on, I think a lot of people online in particular, like on the left were dispirited. Yeah, like a big sense of disappointment about the evening. Totally, but there are these very unsexy candidates like Tony Evers in Wisconsin, for example. Yeah, no idea, Scott Walker. (laughs) Right, he is an uber nerd. He's like the former state superintendent of education, just like a middle-aged white guy. But Democrats won back Wisconsin, right? right? Which was like, Scott Walker won three statewide elections there. Um, There's not a ton of bad news for Democrats. Was it a wave? I mean, probably. But also Uh, who's to say, right? Yeah. Yeah. Does the media do anything differently, though, next time? I mean, we're lamenting the fact that this had to be an election night redo and that election night is always covered like it's fight night, right? Like it's an event. But do you think that because of what happened in 2018, that suddenly in 2020, CNN's going to be like, all right. I feel like CNN's still going to do the same thing just because people want to know what's happening and you want to be able to go to sleep that night and say this person won and this person lost. But maybe they'll have to do seven consecutive days of election night coverage where it's changing a little by little every day. Yeah, I could see them making it election week, like I'm Shark sure they'd Week. love that. <laughs> yeah. well, and we forget that, that I, f- I don't know the exact number here, but like 30 million people voted early. Like, like, Election day starts well before election day, and as yeah, we learned over the last point. week, it election continues month. after actually. Sh- Maybe they <laughs> totally. should do election month. Which, like again, yeah, great another, for ratings. An- yeah. exactly. <laughs> exactly another reason CNN <laughs> wanted to do election night continued, but also uh, recount in Florida, three recounts in Florida. I think ag commissioner. <laughs> don't forget the ag commissioner race, very important. Oh, man, Senate and Gov, <laughs> uh, Georgia, and then all of these sort of like uncounted House races, like New Jersey was still being counted, California still being counted, right. And when it's been a week and a half, we're still counting. Yeah, no, and that's I'm a newish California resident. Right. But one of the things that every political person out here told me was like, California takes a long time to count yeah. votes. They're and still counting, right? Yeah, they're and some still of the race. Like the young state. Kim race. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, we are sitting here in Culver City, California. Obviously, there's been some big news here. And Samia, uh, your three words, please. Yes, my three words are what's burning now ah. with a question mark because that is how I've felt every day for the past like eight days. Um, so the there are fires all up and down California and the winds move really fast and it's really dry. And so these fires are just able to spread. Uh, so I'm from Thousand Oaks. So last week uh, I woke up to news of a shooting in my hometown. And then I went out to Thousand Oaks to cover the shooting for the paper. And I was sitting in a coffee shop, turned around. There was a fire uh, at the, the nearest on the nearest mountain. We kind of ignored it. It was pretty far away from my parents' house. Twelve hours later, we had to evacuate drive over to my apartment in LA so my parents could have a place to sleep. Uh, And then the fire luckily didn't impact Thousand Oaks that much, but then went over to Malibu, has burned tons of houses. I think the count's up to about 500 structures, three people dead. And that's not even talking about the Northern California fire where that destroyed the entire town of Paradise and already 63 people have been 
uh, killed. Yeah, I can't remember any time in modern American history when a town of more than 25,000, right, which is paradise, was yeah. incinerated within it's something like horrifying. six hours. Yeah. Um, the death toll from the fires in northern and southern California this morning, as we tape, at least 63 people dead with more than 600 still missing. I know. We should mention, though, that officials are still hoping that that 600 number includes a lot of folks who evacuated and just didn't realize they haven't been accounted for. But, um, Samia, these twin disasters for you and for Thousand Oaks, uh, the fires causing so much displacement. How is the community even processing this? How are your parents? Uh, My parents are okay. Uh, They're back to work. Our house is fine. But it's just been unbelievable. Like yesterday, I went to a memorial for the sergeant who died uh, and was killed in the shooting. And, you know, you're at the memorial and you look around and all of the hills around where the church was were jet black because they'd all been charred. It was just like so much evidence of two horrible things happening at the same time. Peter, you and I are still pretty new to California. How have you experienced all this? A couple of things. I mean, I live in in Venice. So like I think the Saturday, the first Saturday after the fires really started burning. We could smell it. downwind of it. You could smell it. There was haze on the west side of LA. These fires are happening like with more frequency and intensity. Um, hurricanes are the same way. The stuff that people warn us about, <laughs> about climate change is increasingly just not 10, 20 years in the future. Mm-hmm. Like it's happening right now. Um, I don't think our political establishment is actually talking about it it. that much at all. Obviously, like Trump pulling out of the climate accord has like serious consequences. I just don't think it surfaces itself in the national political conversation very often. Yeah, I learned this new term this week, climate grief, which is something that all of us feel as we even if we're not directly affected um, by the fires like you've been, um, the feeling that we have when we watch parts of our planet burn, parts of our state burn, and kind of have this helplessness about it, knowing that this is going to happen more, and then also that we can't do that much about it at this point, but we're all kind of connected, right? I did not know that. I I mean, to speak to a truth in the media and in the DNA of how people in Washington think at least, like, as much as climate change is validated by science, there is still this sort of impulse to treat it as a political debate right? Yeah. and a both sides debate um, when it's not. Uh, but I do think a lot of sort of mainstream political journalists sort of treat it as a controversial issue. It's like a hot Still. button issue. Uh, exactly. Yeah. As, yeah. as opposed to like a reality. Yeah. So my three words I save for last because, and you'll see why, the three words are no great deception. Um, We hadn't heard much about North Korea for several weeks until Monday when the New York Times dropped a front page story with the headline in North Korea, comma. There's always that comma in the North uh, in the New York Times headline. I love the comma. (laughs) (laughs) In North Korea, comma, missile bases suggest a great deception. Did you catch the story? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it used a new report from CSIS, which is a leg- you know legit think tank, about North Korea's other nuclear missile sites, the ones that they haven't started dismantling and that they never have declared to the rest of the world. Um, so the immediate implication is that Trump was actually getting played, that North Korea is somehow deceiving him. But North Korea, when it agreed to that Singapore summit deal with Trump uh, in June, 
never actually signed on to anything specific. And there was no timeline attached to this at all, right? And no declaration of even what it had. Right. And the second is there's no actual revelations in the report about secret missile sites that the U.S. government didn't already know about. Yeah. So you're saying that they made it seem like Trump got completely tricked and America got tricked, but the our intelligence officials already knew about all of those sites. That's right. Yeah. And then also you can't really accuse somebody of abrogating an agreement that they never signed on to. But didn't Trump present it as though it was an agreement? So I feel like that's what the New York Times was saying. Like Trump said, I fixed all these problems. We made this agreement. Although technically you're right, there was no Yeah. I, th- agreement. I guess the deception part is the problem. Yes. It kicked up a big controversy in the North Korea watcher community. It's not an insignificant community. (laughs) No, no, it's not. (laughs) Right. There is some North. There is actually some legit North Korea news right now because uh, Vice President Pence has been in Asia and he did announce this week that there will be another summit. We don't know what's going to happen, but there is going to be another U.S.-North Korea summit. There was somebody during the first round of summits that speculated that Donald Trump just likes to have summits. Yeah, he he Donald Trump is a master of attention. I remember the first summit, it was an enormous photo op where full of pageantry and he mm-hmm. got to walk down carpets and shake hands and there was, you know, military attendance and like was that February? January? June. June, sorry. It's been a long year. It's been a long year. (laughs) Okay, it's time for a break. Coming up, we're going to call up a parent in Baraboo, Wisconsin. That's where a photo of dozens of white high school boys making a Nazi salute went viral this week. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from CLR Bath & Kitchen. Which two rooms in your house get the most use? If you said the kitchen and the bathroom, you're not alone. And keeping these rooms clean is a never-ending job. CLR Bath & Kitchen makes it easy. Its fast-acting spray makes everything sparkle and gleam. From faucets and shower doors to porcelain and stainless steel, without phosphates, ammonia, or bleach. It even carries the EPA's Safer Choice seal. Trust CLR Bath & Kitchen, making the world a little cleaner. This message comes from NPR sponsor ESPN. The critically acclaimed 30 for 30 documentary series is now a podcast featuring original audio stories from the world of sports, the heroes, the controversies, and how what happens on the field can change everything. Listen to the new season of 30 for 30 on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. I'm Maria Hinojosa, and this week on Latino USA, President Trump says he wants to get rid of birthright citizenship, a right guaranteed by the 14th Amendment. But one country did take birthright citizenship away, and we tell the story of what happened next. That's this week on Latino USA. We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Elise Hugh, in for Sam Sanders, here today with Peter Hamby, reporter and host at Snapchat and Vanity Fair. What's up, Peter? Hey. Also with sound... <laughs> was that supposed to be less? <laughs> that was great. No, I thought it was good. Okay. <laughs> I'm also here with Salmia Carlamangla, health reporter with the LA Times. Hi, Elise. Hey there. Before we get back to some serious news, I have a question for you both. What's your chicken consumption like? Uh, low, because I'm vegetarian. <laughs> so zero. Zero. Really. I'm not like a fitness guy who like measures his macros or anything, but I, I eat a lot of protein. Uh, so <laughs> I would say like I eat. What's a lot? What's your favorite protein, though? Chicken. 
<laughs> yeah, definitely chicken. You're still in but a I chicken. mix it up. Okay. Yeah. I'm asking because the chicken industry is in a slump. Tyson reported earnings this Tuesday. Operating income from chicken fell 34% from wow. a year ago. Uh, but beef, beef income is up 14%. And investment analysts say the shift away from chicken and to beef and pork is way more pronounced than imagined. You'll know so why? Weird. Yeah. Part of the reason for the growth in beef and pork is tariffs. Pork prices are down and restaurants and fast food chains uh, are offering more pork and beef options because it's cheaper. Um, and so to pimp out bacon, Wendy's are, uh, is offering a promo for a sandwich called Sawsome Hamburger. <laughs> That's S apostrophe. Awesome. What's in it, though? Three strips of bacon. See that? Is there sausage in it? Because it kind of sounds like sausage. (laughs) That's what I thought. (laughs) And I would also eat a sausage burger. I know that grosses you out. No, I mean, come on. We eat sausage biscuit sandwiches. I just really like sausage. (laughs) All right. Now it's time for a segment we call Long Distance. At the beginning of this week, a chilling image went viral. It's a group of about 50 kids, nearly all white, throwing up Nazi salutes for their junior prom picture. One of them in front seems to go further, making the okay gesture favored by white supremacists. Uh, these kids are catching national attention just as worries about the rise of white nationalism in this country grow. And the FBI released new numbers this week showing hate crimes jumped 17% since last year, up for the third year in a row now. The school hired the photographer who took the picture. The kids say they were following his instructions to wave. The image came out because the photographer put it on his professional website. A New York-based reporter reposted it on Twitter. That's how it went viral, and that's how we know about it. Huge controversy. So we wondered, what's it like in Baraboo this week? To talk about it, we called up a dad of two daughters who go to Baraboo, Nate Mathis Vargas, who is white, like more than 90% of that town and its high school. Hey, Nate, can you hear me okay? I can. Well, thanks for doing this. It must be a strange and stressful time. Not a problem. You have two daughters who go to Baraboo High School, a freshman and a junior. Mm -hmm. What has this week been like? Um, It's been strange, to be honest with you. Um, A friend posted that picture on Facebook from the original Twitter post, and I was appalled. I was like, what? This is where my kids go to school. They walk the hallways with these kids. I don't want my kids surrounded by people who feel that way or think that way. And, you know, then at the end of the day, um, I called my ex-wife to get my daughters on speakerphone so that the four of us could discuss it together. And they weren't aware of a lot about the Nazi army itself. So they didn't understand what that meant, which was more shocking to me than the picture itself. It's like, how do they not teach that? How do they not know that? And I explained to them that they need to know. You need to know what that means. You need to know what it means to be marginalized and why that issue is such a, like, why people are freaking out about it. And what did those conversations sound like? What did y'all say to each other? Um, Well, obviously, because they're teenagers, they were, and they're proud of where they go to school, and their friends were in that picture they took the position of, you know, they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't understand what was wrong with it. You know, the people in the picture themselves and that they felt bad for the kids. And there's kids who who were being threatened and, you know, they were taking the offense that their, their friend was being attacked. And the school was on a soft lockdown. 
this last week because wow. they have received threats at the school. Wow. So what does that mean um, for the students to be on soft lockdown as a result of a viral photo of uh, Heil Hitler signs? It's stressful. My daughter, when I when I first messaged her about it and asked how she was doing, she said that she w- everything around the school was very tense that day and she just wanted to cry, which really hurt my heart. Like, I don't ever want her to feel like that or any kid to feel like that. And a soft lockdown means they can't, they have an open campus generally, so the students can leave school to go to lunch. And during this whole entire week, they haven't been allowed to do that. What has this whole episode taught you? Um, I feel like it opened my eyes to a little bit more about what I need to do as a parent on talking to my kids about these kinds of things. Um, my oldest daughter, she was very offended by the fact that the whole world you know was was talking about it and she felt like it was shedding an unfair light on the city itself and i used that opportunity to kind of explain to her what it meant to be marginalized because you know people who dealt with that and anybody who deals with you know bullying or harassment or because of the color of their skin they were picked on or bullied or marginalized in the past and so I said, you know, take how you feel right now in this situation. You're upset. You feel like everyone is judging you and unfairly. That's how those people feel every single day of their lives. And it's kind of bringing things to light. Now, um, I understand that more than 10% of the thousand kids at Baraboo High School are people of color. Mm-hmm. The journalist who first put up this photo says alumni have been writing in to him saying that the school doesn't seem to do much about racial bullying at school. Yes. What are teachers and administrators doing to be better? Um, so far, they've only sent out the letter um, saying you know, that we acknowledge there was, a, there was a serious default on our, our side of the situation and that they're going to start offering more classes and more strict guidelines when it comes to what they learn and how they deal with situations when it comes to racial discrimination. And when it comes to those posts of of alumni who gone to school there, am I surprised that that had happened? No. I mean, I grew up in a small town. You know, I wasn't out at the time, but everyone just assumed I was gay, which I am, but I was bullied mercilessly about it. Mm. And... You know, it's because people that grow up in areas like that, they're not exposed to things in the world that they don't understand. And they feel like because, you know, they don't see it, they don't understand it, and the people that are around them agree with it, that it makes it okay. I do have to say that, you know, the school sent a letter yesterday, um, and I, I at first was very upset with the school, thinking that they didn't do what they needed to do, and obviously they haven't in the past. But now the world is watching them, and I feel like that is the best possible outcome of the situation is the students in the school don't need to make excuses for what happened. Acknowledge it, say it was wrong, say we understand that we hurt people, and, you know, go forward being better. All right, well, here's to more difficult conversations that hopefully um, offer some lessons, not only to the kids, but to the whole community. Uh, Nate, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks again to Nate Mathis-Vargas. His daughters go to Baraboo High School in Wisconsin. I'm back here with Peter and Saumya. What were y'all's reactions when y'all saw this? It was crazy. Um, yeah, I and also from that interview, like I honestly can't believe that people don't know what that means. 
Yeah, that's um, what the kids are saying. Yeah, and that just seems like a really convenient excuse. And even if it's real, that is a problem in itself that they don't know what that means. But they would have had to know it, know what it meant enough to think it was funny. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts about this. Uh-huh. Uh, so I work at Snapchat. I work on political news at Snapchat. And so I immerse myself with high school and college age people primarily. Um, and like my show, for example, 90% of the audience is under 25. So I go to high schools. I talk to high school kids. Yeah. Like they stop me on the street. I talk yeah. to them. I'm just curious how they view the mm-hmm. world. White high school boys um, think that things like this are funny. They think Donald Trump is kind of trolly and fun because it is transgressive and it gets people angry. So um, this is just trolling. I think to them. that. It's hard to believe they wouldn't know that this is like a Nazi salute, yeah. but it has been reappropriated in the sort of like Trumpy Reddit era into just like a thing that's like fun to mess with people. And I guarantee you plenty of these kids, in, if not already, will in a year or two be like, oh, man, I can't believe I did that. That was a stupid thing. So are you saying that these symbols of hate holding up the Nazi salute, that it's divorced from its original meaning? Yeah. I mean, I think we saw that in 2016. How um, so? I'm not well. I mean, like with the sort of like all right. I feel like it's supposed figures. to be like ironic. Yeah. Nazism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is not <laughs> ironic Nazism. Which, like, I think you could say you know, that there's a hard line. You can't do that. Yeah. And like millennials and Gen Z are like the largest demographic population in this country, and a lot of them are coming of age at a moment when things like this are just in the water. So, what do you think should happen to the kids? Look, I think they need to have cultural conversations with people who don't look like them. Yeah. Yeah, I, d- I generally don't think people in high school should be like tortured forever by their actions, but um, they should have to reckon with what they did. Yeah, I don't think that there should be formal punishment, but I feel like they need a history lesson <laughs> and talking to, like Peter said, talking to people who aren't like them. But yeah, I and think it dealing like- with it on a personal level needs to be done. It sounded like from the dad, too, that they are having some really awkward and difficult yeah. conversations that needed to be had. Right. And kids are learning a lot. All right, time for a break. When we come back, we'll play Who Said That? <laughs> Should I say it? Who Said That? <laughs> Who Said That? This message comes from NPR sponsor, Google Home Hub. You know when you're cooking dinner, but you're interrupted by the doorbell ringing? That's why there's Google Home Hub. It works with your Nest Hello video doorbell to show you who's at the door without actually going to the door. And you can just say, just leave it, and it'll respond to whomever's at the door. That's help at a glance with Google Home Hub. It's a display with the Google Assistant built in. Available now at the Google Store and leading retailers. Nest Hello required. Support also comes from ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology finds the right people for you and actively invites them to apply. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. based on hiring sites with over a 1,000 reviews on Trustpilot. And right now, listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com minute. Hi, it's Jeremy Hobson with Here and Now. I'll be in Europe this week checking in on the latest developments with Brexit. Is Great Britain any closer to exiting the EU? We'll be in Paris, in Northern Ireland, and broadcasting from the BBC in London. Check out our podcast for a special Brexit edition of Here and Now. 
You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Elise Hugh, in for Sam Sanders, here today with Peter Hamby, reporter and host at Snapchat, also a contributing writer at Vanity Fair. Also here with Salmia Carlamangla, health reporter with the Los Angeles Times. Hey. And it's kind of the El Segundo Times now, right? It moved. Yeah, we're right across from LAX. We have a view of the planes landing. Oh, it's kind of nice. There's an outburger over there. There is. There's like two restaurants. It's good. <laughs> well, y'all, now it's time for my favorite part of It's Been a Minute, really. Who said that? Who said that? Who said that? The game who is simple. That? I share a who quote from the week. Who you have to guess who said that, or at least the story where the quote is coming from. Best of three, and the prize we have this week for the winner is... Wait for it. Chicken. <laughs> that would be so good. <laughs> I should just get like a gigantic frozen chicken, and if you win, you have give to, it to Peter. Yeah, you exactly. have to give it to Peter. Let's check it. So I win. Big fan of protein. I love protein. And you can just yell out the answer when you know this. Okay. okay. <clears throat> Here we go. First quote: If you see a staggering and disoriented raccoon, please do not approach it. Who said that? Is this like Man, a high no raccoon? Okay. I'm just gonna give it to you. Yes. It was close enough. Um, if you see a staggering and disoriented raccoon, please do not approach it, is a quote from uh, police in Milton, West Virginia, where they have had multiple calls about raccoons stumbling around town. They suspected rabies, but according to the police, it turns out they appear to be drunk on crab apples. <laughs> police in Gilbert, Minnesota, also got reports of birds getting sauced and flying into windows, cars, and acting confused. Wait. Crab apples? So raccoons were getting drunk on crab How apples. How do you get drunk on a crab apple? I guess the effect of a crab apple on a raccoon's system okay. leads it to act. So I can't get drunk on crab apple. No, I mean, you can try. You can ferment it. Like <laughs> in my bathroom. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Speaking of fermenting, so the reason why the birds were getting drunk and flying into windows, an early frost meant that berries fermented before the birds flew south uh, for the winter. And so they were eating them and getting drunk. I feel like these are signs of the apocalypse. Like, you might be listening to this tomorrow, but then all of us will be gone. Yeah. Birds are always a little creepy. Right. And a sign that things might be going wrong. <laughs> Samia, you get a point. Okay. All right. Great. Next quote. If I walked into Congress wearing a sack, they would laugh and take a picture of my backside. Oh, that's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Peter Hamby, everybody. This Give us story the was so ridiculous. It was crazy. An and emblem dumb. of our stupid politics. So um, Ocasio-Cortez, new House member, the youngest ever woman elected to the House, um, has obviously been getting lots of lots of media attention in part um, because she's a young woman, in part because she is a democratic socialist, in part because she embraces social media. She embraces the media. She's not like one of these cautious politicians. Anyway, she is also uh, really gets under the skin of conservatives. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a conservative uh, reporter on the Hill who saw her and sort of said like, oh, this looks like she's wearing like a really nice jacket and skirt. Like doesn't look like this. She can't afford rent or something. Yeah, like that. she can't afford rent or she's struggling. It doesn't or look like she's struggling with something like that. Yeah. And like that's part of her biography, right? Like she's a working class like waitress, et cetera. And, like, this guy got ratioed to hell on Twitter. Like, everyone <laughs> replied, yeah. like, dude, what are you doing? So this guy's name is Eddie Scarry. He's with the Washington Examiner. And the tweet was worse than we're even portraying it as because he said, doesn't look like a girl who is struggling. That's so dumb. I mean, like, so many – there are just so many more important things to write about and talk about than, like – 
getting your stupid content retweeted. Um, I be- Last time I looked, I thought he might have deleted the tweet. Not that that matters has- these days, but he did delete it. But your knowing about this dumb story gave you a point in who said that. So y'all are tied. Okay. Fun. One, best of three. Here we go. All right. Just yell it out if you know it. I was concerned that I might slip, that the ground would be too slick. But it was wet and grainy enough that traction wasn't a problem. Is it an athlete? <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> I'm going to give you another quote okay. from the same From the same person. like fictional farmer from a Depression-era novel? Go on. <laughs> You're going to love this one. You know who it is. <clears throat> Snow in my face. The flakes smaller, more biting now, maybe sleet. Lots of Oxford commas. Is this Beto O'Rourke? Yes. Yes. This was so weird slash awesome. Soon to be former Congressman Beto O'Rourke lost his campaign for Texas Senate. And he wrote his first non-campaign medium post about his run in Washington, D.C. on the first day of snow. And it was this weird stream of consciousness description of the run. At some point, somebody... he ran to the Lincoln Memorial and like wrote down one of the quotes that he read on the memorial. I mean, like, look, he's having some feelings right now, right? Just, you know, he's having some emotions. Processing. And like a lot of people like were reading the the tea leaves in this. Like he's running. He's running. Literally, he's running. He's running or he's (laughs) running. That's amazing. But that's the question, right? Is he running or is he running? I will say this. He is absolutely... Uh, in the conversation as a 2020 presidential candidate because he is singularly the most exciting Democrat in the country yeah. for Democrats. He's raised, like, he raised scads of money A gazillion online. dollars, yeah. He is authentic in a, at a time when that's really, like, a fetish in our politics. Right. Like, he, and he's young, right? Like, he, he represents kind of generational change. But, like, he is a little emo. Yeah. He yeah. is a little emo, and he's having some emotions. <laughs> all right, who won? Peter Hamby. I'll give you all my chicken. I appreciate it. <laughs> I know. I actually think this chicken is a great prize that we thought of. So thanks, yeah. Samia. Yeah. Okay, now it's time to end the show as we do every week. We ask listeners to share with Sam the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage you to brag. Let's take a listen. This is Kelly. And Patrick on the Blue Ridge Parkway. <laughs> we're driving from Dallas to New York, and it's the best thing that's happened to us all week. We hope we're having a great time and having a great day. Bye. This is Philip Limerick from Danville, Kentucky, and the best thing that happened to me this week is that I successfully defended my doctoral dissertation. I got to surprise my boyfriend with tickets to his favorite musician, Stevie Wonder. I got sworn in as an attorney for the state of Colorado. The best thing of my week was my 31st birthday. The best thing that happened to me this week was fixing my car all by myself without having to go to the dealership. The best part of my week was celebrating 20 years of being with my husband, and it was amazing. This is Wendy from San Diego, and the best thing that happened to me this week was that my eight-year-old son decided that he was going to run for student council. He hates public speaking, but he spent time writing a speech, practicing a speech, even let me help him with it. He got up there and did it. He didn't win the election, but he was so proud of himself for trying, and we're so proud of him too. This is Carrie from Maryland. The best thing that happened to us this week is that our four-year-old son had a standard cardiac catheterization to place stents. It has been two and a half years since his last open heart surgery, and he is recovering so well, it looks like it might be two to three years before another procedure. 
and even longer before another full surgery. We're relieved and blessed. Love your show. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks. Peace. Oh, thanks so much to Kelly and Patrick, Philip, Danielle, Megan, Wellington, Becca, Grace, Wendy, and Carrie there at the end for sending in your best things. Here at the show, we listen to all of these that come in. Thank you so much for sharing. Send your best things to samsanders at npr.org. We're going to go out on Kiss and Make Up from Dua Lipa and Blackpink. Thanks again to my guests today, Peter Hamby from Snapchat and Samia Karlamangla from the LA Times. Thanks so much, y'all. It was so much fun. Thanks, Elise. Thank you. What are you going to do for Thanksgiving? I'm going to Greenville, South Carolina, your favorite city. Great Main Street. Uh, What a fantastic Main Street. Great Main Street. And Samia, what about you? I'm going to Hawaii. Oh, lovely. That's going to be a beautiful Thanksgiving. It's Been a Minute was produced this week by Brent Bachman, Anjali Sastry, with help from Alex McCall, with Steve Nelson, our director of programming. Our editor is Jordana Hochman. Our big boss, the senior vice president of programming at NPR, is Anya Grundman. Next week is Thanksgiving. On Tuesday, Sam is back for an encore episode with Dan Pashman of The Sporkful, featuring Thanksgiving horror stories. And on Friday, an episode full of our favorite moments with comedians here on the show. We think that'll be good for the trip home after the holiday. Thank y'all so much for bearing with me as I fill in for the singular Sam Sanders. I'm Elise Hugh. Thanks for listening, and happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>